It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hi, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Welcome back to the Larry Kudlow Show. I'm broadcasting from an undisclosed location in West Palm Beach, Florida. (laughs) It's great stuff. Been down here for the um, AFPI, America First Policy Institute Conference at Mar-a-Lago. President Trump spoke last night. I had a chance to visit with him briefly. But, you know, the big story yesterday, oh, come on, fellas, come on. (laughs) Three days after President Trump announces he's going to run again for president. I'm going to talk about that later. It's got pluses and minuses. But three days after he announces, here comes the Biden Merritt Garland Justice Department with a special prosecutor or a special counselor, whatever they're going to call it. Here they come. Is this political? Nah, no way. Are they weaponizing the Justice Department? Of course they are. It's the most incredible, stupid thing I have ever seen. And um, they're going to try to hold this over his head for as long as he runs. So let's start with a couple things. First of all, what are the charges they want to look at? Retention of classified documents, totally phony charge. There's nothing in there. In fact, the Washington Post had a story, was it yesterday or two days ago or three days ago, when the documents that are being looked at are essentially personal documents, personal effects. There's nothing any other president hasn't done. Everybody knows this should be decided by the National Archives and Trump's people. Trump has said months ago that he would give them whatever they wanted. I mean, really, a special counsel for this? I'm sorry. This is just weaponized Justice Department for political purposes. Retention. And then the related measure is obstruction of uh, the investigation into these uh, classified, so-called classified documents. This is utter nonsense. There's no there there. No, they're there. And then finally, the third charge is the supposed interference with the transfer of presidential power, meaning January 6th, January 6th committee. There's there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Trump didn't prevent it. I mean, he had opinions. He asked questions. He's an election denier. I mean, I don't happen to agree with him about election denying, but this has nothing to do with breaking the law. It's just his opinion. He's entitled to ask a bunch of questions just like anybody else is. So this Justice Department thing is totally, utterly politically motivated. You know, three days after he uh, makes his announcement speech, which I want to talk about over the course of the show. But this is uh, just crazy stuff. And you see right through it. It's totally transparent what they are trying to do. I mean, look. The, the war against Trump, the, the Bidens have been assessed, uh, obsessed for two years with trying to do everything they can to stop Donald Trump from running for president again. Everything. This is just one more example. I mean, how about this? How about this? There's something Newt Gingrich said last night at uh, the dinner we had at Mar-a-Lago. There's this family. It's a crime family. It's called the Biden crime family. It's going to be under investigation by Jim Jordan and the Judiciary Committee when the GOP, uh, you know, takes the House January 3rd. How about the Biden crime family? Where's the special prosecutor for them? 
to bring in Tony Bobulinski and show that they were engaged in all manner of grift and embezzlement and, uh, you know, attempts to attempts to bribery. I mean, where's that? Where's the special prosecutor for that? You want a special prosecutor? How about that one? By the way, even the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is notoriously anti-Trump, wrote today about how stupid the uh, special prosecutor is uh, for these uh, Trump charges. It's just utter nonsense. I mean, you look at this thing. This will be the third independent prosecutor in five years to examine issues involving the former president. And by the way, this one, I mean, they're always open-ended. The remit of this special prosecutor uh, is unclear. Gosh knows how far they want to take this. But then again, Hunter Biden awaits not a special prosecutor, but a district attorney, a U.S. attorney in Delaware, investigating embezzlement and uh, tax evasion and failure to register as a foreign lobbyist, et cetera, et cetera. But this Biden war against Trump has always been upper mind in uh, Biden's head. You saw a lot of it during the midterms. The talk, constant talk about mega, 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 mega Republicans, that kind of thing. But this, uh, you know, three days after he makes his announcement. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating to me. So the special counsel is a chap named Jack Smith. I don't know much about him. I don't think anybody is. He's uh, Anybody knows much. He was a uh, Justice Department chief of public integrity. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's going to be run by Merrick Garland and his lieutenants who absolutely hate Trump and will do everything they can. And by the way, I hate to be too cynical, but you can wait for all the leaks, nasty little leaks coming out of this investigation. They may not come from the special counsel. They will come from the Justice Department, which will be keeping tabs on him. Leaks to help, uh, leaks to hurt Trump, help their case as silly as that case may be. That's what's going to happen here. This is just total political weaponization of the Justice Department. That's all it is. See it for what it's worth. Now, look, at. I don't know if Mr. Trump, you know, I don't know if he's going to get the GOP presidential nomination. I don't know that. He just uh, started his campaign. I have no idea if he is going to be president. Uh, you know, that's a knowable unknown as Donald uh, Rumsfeld, the late great Donald Rumsfeld, would say. But I know that Joe Biden will unhesitatingly weaponize all of his law enforcement authorities to attack Trump. I know that. Now, President Trump is pretty angry about that, rightly so. He said he's not going to partake in it. He called it the worst politicalization of justice in our country. He said, I've been proven innocent for six years on everything from fake impeachment to Mueller, who found no collusion. Now i got to do it again. I think he's right. I mean, I think he's dead right. This stuff is just so political. And by the way, ironically, it, wind, it may wind up helping Trump. It may wind up helping Trump. For one thing it's going to do is you know, take all this uh, Trump criticism off the front pages replaced by this... Uh, special counsel, and I think people are going to see right through that uh, this was not necessary. They had no case against him, all that stuff. I mean, last night the president spoke briefly about it in a broader-reaching speech. It was a good speech, too, I might add. But 
He said he thought this stuff had gone away, you know, the National Archives thing, they can work it out. January 6th committee found nothing at all, despite all their histrionics. But no, here comes this three days after he makes his announcement for another run for the press. It's just absolute nonsense, utter nonsense. And uh, I can't blame him. By the way, Trump, you know, it's funny. As angry as he was about this, he didn't go crazy. He did not go crazy when he spoke about it. In fact, he cracked some jokes about it. He was in pretty good uh, humor last night. And um, I like that because it, you know, it kind of went along with his very good, calm, temperate speech on uh, Tuesday when he announced his new run for president. Very calm, you know, very, very temperate, very 2016 when he focused on issues rather than individuals. No trash talking, no trash talking, no insults, no mention of um, election denial. I think maybe he's put that aside. It's kind of a new Trump. But last night when he spoke and the first part of his uh, speech was about this silly special counsel. He was also, he cracked a few jokes about it. He was very temperate. He uh, kept us cool about the whole thing. So I was sort of glad to see that. And, um, you know, could be a new new Trump. Anyway, the biggest problem the Bidens have right now is not this silly special counsel, although they're going to distract. It's the fact that there are 222 Republicans elected to Congress to take a majority, take over the House. And that's what we want to talk about today, what that could mean, what I want the GOP to do, how I want them to be the stewards of economic prosperity and uh, things related to that. 222 seats. I guess Lauren Boebert's going to win her seat out in Colorado. They picked up a couple of seats in California. They kept up several seats in New York. So it worked out okay, 222. And um, I had Kevin uh, McCarthy on the show uh, two nights ago, Thursday night, we're broadcasting down here in Palm Beach. And um, he will be the next speaker. At least that's what I think. They have nobody else to be speaker, so I assume Kevin's going to be the speaker. I think he's deserved it. He's earned it. He's done a great job. He understands the importance of economic growth and prosperity. Cutting the budget. Keeping taxes down. Extending the Trump tax cuts, which were so successful, maybe most importantly, most importantly, reopening the oil and gas spigots. Oil and gas permeates every part of American life. Gasoline prices, sure. Diesel prices, sure. Food prices, home grocery prices, sure. Inflation in general, sure. Damaging the economy, absolutely. I'd like to see that be the number one, uh, the number one move. HR one, energy security bill. Give it the permitting and the pipelining, and the new refineries. That's where I'd like to see it start. That would lower inflation, increase supplies, right? Bring down prices, and would also promote economic growth. Because I fear there's a big fat recession next year. We may already be in it this year. We'll have Tyler Goodspeed on uh, later on the show. And uh, we're going to have Charlie Hurt on the other side of the uh, half hour to 
talk about the politics of this crazy special counsel stuff. Anyway, my point is you've got a Republican House. It's massively, majorly important. And all Biden can do is put up a phony special counsel to go after charges that have no merit. It's transparently political, weaponizing Justice Department. It's not the way our system's supposed to work, and I think it's going to backfire on Biden. Anyway, I'm Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the other side. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Larry Kudlow Show. I'm Larry Kudlow. It is, as always, great to be with you. Broadcasting down here from an undisclosed location in West Palm Beach, Florida. By the way, uh, catch up a little bit. During the week, please join us, 4 to 5 p.m. every weekday. Fox Business, name the show's Cudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. If you can't join us, uh, just get your get your favorite nine-year-old to show you how to DVR the show. And here you can get us live Live streaming on the Internet, right? LarryCudlowShow.com. LarryCudlowShow.com. So that's all good. So I want to talk about the biggest news is the Republican takeover of the House of Representatives. Okay? Republican takeover of the House of Representatives. 222 votes. Big. Bigger than they thought a couple days ago when they hit 218, 219. And I don't think this story has gotten a lot of visibility and ventilation. I don't think the mainstream media has processed this. But I still think they're in denial about it. The Democrats may be less in denial because you saw Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer both retire from leadership. So now they're going to have to find some newbies. But the point I need to make here is what an earthquake this is for a number of reasons, a number of reasons. And one of them is they will stop the Biden bad stuff. There are not going to be any more tax hikes. There's not going to be any more massive multi-trillion dollar spending bills to cause more inflation. Actually, it's kind of fun. The student loan cancellation uh, has been canceled by the courts. And that thing was $500 billion to a trillion dollars, so that would have been inflationary and very unfair. The have-nots would have been paying for the haves. So the courts knocked that out. But, you know, in terms of uh, Biden's Green New Deal socialism and Biden's big spending and Biden's war against fossil fuels and Biden's war against business, all that stuff, uh, the House will put an end to it. They're going to put an end to it. And... Um, that's a good thing. I mean, that's big. Uh, just fiddling with the dials a little bit here. So um, my point is, that is really the big news. And it's an earthquake. Remember, all money bills originate in the House. All money bills. So that is going to handcuff Mr. Biden. And... Let me go into some substance. I mean, I think the first bill, at least the first bill I'd like to see, we've had a lot of guests on this 
And uh, we talked about it at the America First conference yesterday. Uh, I think the first bill ought to be an energy security bill, which will take the handcuffs off the oil and gas, reopen the spigots. I mean, right now, you know, you, you're still just less than $100 a barrel, 90 to $100 a barrel. And gasoline prices, yeah, they've come down because Biden has depleted the petroleum reserve, which is a very bad move strategically, internationally. But you're still way above, you know, prices that prevailed two years ago, way above. You know, Trump's energy independence, Trump's energy dominance worked. And Biden's Green New Deal socialism is a failure. It's an absolute failure. There's no alternative universe here. You want to kill fossil fuels? You're going to kill energy. You're going to kill power. You're going to jack up prices. And oil and gas permeates every part of our economy. I mean, I've read the list. Heck, I can go through it again. It's boring. But you go through all this stuff, antihistamines, artificial limbs, asphalt, fertilizer for food, ballpoint pens, bandages, cameras, car battery cases, clothes, all kind of clothing, by the way, petrochemicals, polyesters, crayons, credit cards, drinking cups, eyeglasses, MRIs, stethoscopes. How about that? Bet you probably never thought about that. Golf bags, golf balls, hand curl, hair curlers, hand lotions, hearing aids. All this is petroleum-based. iPads, phones, cell phones, computers, laptops. You want to end all that? You want to drive up the prices of all that? It's already too high. It's already had a negative impact with higher prices. Eyeglasses, shampoo, shaving cream. Shoes. I mean, the list is endless. MRIs. Gosh, I can't even. I mean, it's. I got 150 things here. It comes in the energy department. That's why when you put the kibosh on oil and gas and fossil fuels, the war against fossil fuels, you are affecting every nook and cranny of our economy. Everyday life depends on refined petroleum products of one kind or another, including literally the clothes on your back and the food on your table. And that's why it's got to change. And that's why I'd like to see, and we talked about this, a kind of H.R. 1 from the Republican House, the new Republican House, which will basically take the handcuffs off. And let's get back to producing 14, 15 million barrels a day which is where we should be. We're still under 12. It was 13.1 before the pandemic. This is crazy. Biden's war against fossil fuels is crazy. All it's done is create high inflation and economic recession. That's all it's done. So we'll take a break here. We'll take a break. The great Charlie Hurt's going to come on on the other side of the break, talk some politics. We'll talk about everything. I'm Cudlow, folks. Undisclosed location down here in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm not going to tell you where we are. It's too personal. But we'll be right back. Please stay with us.
This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Let's get right down to it. We have the great Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor, Fox News contributor. Charlie, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. And oh, man, Larry, it's great to talk to you, as always. Well, if you didn't do it, we'd get a special counsel to monitor you. <laughs> All right, how's that? I mean, you don't think this, you, is, this isn't political, is it? This isn't weaponizing the Justice Department, is it? It's incredible. And and not only that, uh, Merrick Garland admits it, it, you know, in, in, you know, in his announcement, he said the reason we're doing this is because Donald Trump announced his plans to run for president. Yes. If that's not political, I don't know what is. Yeah, you're right. That's and you know what? I forgot about that. That's exactly that was in the statement. <laughs> what a dope. I mean, really, just <laughs> terrible stuff. So um, where is this going to lead? I, I thought I, Trump spoke last night. We're, I'm down here for this America First conference in Mar-a-Lago. He spoke. By the way, he, he was very temperate about it. He didn't go crazy. He even cracked a couple of jokes. I mean, he's very, he's very, <laughs> he's very angry about it, but he didn't go nuts. But the point is, he's, he may that stuff. We, I thought had gone away. This whole National Archives document stuff had gone away, and January sixth had gone away because they got nowhere and proved nothing. And then here it comes back again with a special counsel. What do you make of that? I think that it reveals, it reminds us just how much of a threat the the establishment in Washington views a guy like Donald Trump, mm. and it it it. It proves our sort of our worst suspicions about how much the, the political apparatus in Washington desperately wants to prevent him from becoming president uh, again. And um, and and you know it's it's uh, and the thing that really frustrates me about it is that and, and you and I have talked about this. You know, going forward, if if we want to, to figure out how to unify the country. And, and move on. The worst thing you can do is mistreat President Trump, treat him unfairly, treat him unconstitutionally, and thereby mistreating his millions and millions and millions of support, loyal supporters mm. who want him to be treated fairly. If we're going to have an open, honest, vigorous debate about the leadership of the Republican Party going forward, it has to be done on, on the merits and on the issues, mm. and that's the only way forward. And I see it as a very bright path forward. Um, I, I, I realize there are a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives who are scared of it, but they shouldn't be. This is, you know, Republican voters can handle this. They can make wise decisions, and and and, and I don't even know that they necessarily go with Donald Trump. They mm-hmm. might. Mm-hmm. Decide against going with Donald Trump, but if you want to, if you want to guarantee a fractured party, then treat Donald Trump and his supporters unfairly or unconstitutionally. Continue pursuit using the Department of Justice to pursue. So think about this, Larry. Donald Trump is the only person that we know of to ever run for the, for president twice, and both times under investigation by political opponents who control the federal government. Mm. That's what Merrick Garland announced on Friday, is mm. that the federal government is officially pursuing Donald Trump during a presidential race. And it's mm. the exact same thing the, Ob- the Biden-Obama administration did uh, the first time he ran. Yeah, that's Pretty right. Pretty scary. That's right. 
Did you see? I didn't see it because uh, I've been traveling a bit. But the Washington Post wrote something that said basically in terms of these uh, documents uh, at Mar-a-Lago, um, they're really just personal effects, that that came out like a day or two before um, Merrick Garland's announcement. I didn't see the article. I saw reference to the article. And we've always thought these were just personal effects and that, um, you know, classified documents about nuclear war was all a whole bunch of nonsense. And anyway, Charlie heard, well, you know, Trump has said, so to the National Archives, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. He said that. Yeah. In fact, it's people have said and, that a bunch of times. So what's there? I don't understand this whole investigation. And, and not only that, the Washington Post also reported that uh, DOJ officials who are leaking like sieves trying to, at every turn, trying to destroy Trump, also acknowledged that there, there, is clearly, there was clearly no intent to do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about purloined federal you know, documents, executive privileged documents or whatever, you know, from the, from the executive branch, uh, you, you have to prove intent. In order to pursue it, but it's all bumpkiss. It's all you know. The, the the harsh truth about this is, and we can criticize Trump for how he handled, you know, boxing up materials and leaving the White House. Mm-hmm. But the idea that we're going to bring about a constitutional crisis about records that he and he alone had control over when he was president, and and you know maybe quote unquote improperly or quote unquote properly whatever walked out of the White House with, this is not something you pursue a president over. This is, you want, that's a guaranteed constitutional crisis. And if it were anyone other than Donald Trump who, you know, causes people to lose their senses, no one would think that this was some sort of crime. You know, the things that, that we don't prosecute presidents for doing in office, this is at the bottom of the of the list of those things, I mean, it's insane to me. It, it, the day before, the day before Pre- President Trump left office, he could have sat on the Truman balcony and made paper airplanes out of every one of these documents <laughs> and floated them out into the audience, mm-hmm. and it, there would have been nothing wrong with it. And then the next day, because he boxed them up and, and had them in a secure location at Mar-a-Lago, the next day suddenly it becomes a national crisis, constitutional crisis, where you have political opponents in the Department of Justice pursuing Donald Trump, the ex-president, and and threatening him with jail time? This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. And, and and, 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 and And I get it. You know, it's no way to win an election. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Donald Trump needs to focus on the issues. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about this stuff, you're not going to win mm-hmm. an election because people don't really care. But we should be shocked. Everybody should be shocked by this. This is a this is a horrific uh, mistreatment of our Constitution and the, the, the separation of powers in our government. You know, it's a litmus test for that. Um, the Wall Street Journal editorial page which basically hates Trump and goes yes, out of their way do. to say that. They uh, defended Trump today. They said this special counsel is a real bad idea. <laughs> they came out against it, which amuses me no end. They're all friends of mine. Yeah, that tells you something. Uh, but it does tell you something. Now, Charlie Hurt, you don't suppose over the course of this uh, primary campaign in the GOP that um, 
that the DOJ is going to leak anything from this council, do you? <laughs> Interesting point because uh, Trump's speech Tuesday night on when he announced for president again was chock full of policy substance, policy achievements, Biden criticism, and then policy future policy agenda. It's good speech for a change. He did not uh, air the election denial grievances. He did not trash talk anybody. It was really, uh, you know, top line speech, and everybody trashed the speech after they got through trashing him for the election. But that's what you're saying. He needs to have his due. By the way, I suspect that even those inside the GOP, Charlie Hurt, who don't want Trump to be president, do want his policies to be restored. So on the issues, you know, I think people better listen up. I mean, we'll see what... The Santa says and Pompeo and Mike Pence and so forth, but I'm going to guess most of them are going to agree with much of what the Trump policy agenda was. I I would like to think that certainly the voters who are over Trump love his policies. I do think that there is a faction in the Republican establishment, the establishment of the Republican Party, that are still very uncomfortable with his more populist. Uh, you know, pro-border security, for example, is the best example, um, uh, and some of the trade issues. Uh, but but there, I, I do think there's a there's a, a plank in the establishment of the Republican Party that is still very uncomfortable with a lot of those issues, and and they don't and 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 sort of you know uh, hating on Trump is kind of a proxy for the fact that they're uncomfortable with those issues. And but whatever the case, uh, again, it comes back to the same thing. If you if you if you want what we all want, which is a unified 
serious Republican Party with serious solutions to address serious problems, then the way to get there is to have a debate on the issues, not on mm-hmm. Donald Trump. And I agree with you. I thought that speech the other night was fantastic. Um, it was, I, I guess it was a little bit low energy by Trump standards, but that's a good thing. The, my, my only criticism, I wish he, I wish he would truncate it down to a 32-minute speech, get <laughs> in and get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, good, uh, luck on, you, good luck on that, Charlie. <laughs> good, good luck on that. But, but, but as as we as you and I have both told Mr. Trump personally to his face, the issues that 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 Donald Trump and Donald Trump alone brought to the table and used to reshape the Republican Party and used to win the election in 2016 by stealing Democrat voters away from from the crazy Democrats. That's what he should focus on. And and, and, I, and I'm not even saying he's wrong about his complaints about the election. I thought the election was horribly unfair. But the problem is you can't win an election talking about elections. You win elections by talking about the issues. And yeah. if you want to fix the corruption in the elections, you have to win on the issues. Then you can fix the problems in the way elections are handled. Charlie Hurt, you got another 10 minutes for us so I can take a break. I want to come yes, back sir. and – Talk about this. You're wonderful. I want to talk about the Republican House with 222 seats. So thank you ever so much, folks. We've got the great Charlie Hurt from the Washington Times and Fox News contributor. I'm Larry Cutler. We're going to take a quick short break and then come back and finish up with much more with Charlie. Stay with us. I'm Cudlow. Larry Cudlow on 77 WABC. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here talking to the great Charlie Hurt, Washington Times and Fox News contributor. Charlie, um, uh, welcome back. We can cut the music down. Thank you. Let's be sharp in New York, kids, because we're doing this off-site. Um, Charlie, <clears throat> 222 seats in the House, slightly larger margin. Um, Kevin's got himself a little bit of a fight. Not sure who else, if not if not Kevin, but you tell me what you're hearing down there and, and where this is going to land. So obviously um, he's got a, a bit of a problem unifying the party and uh, with, as you point out, very, very little wiggle room. Um, I do think there are probably a couple of uh, holdouts who will never be convinced, but I do think it's important to remember that, um, in in the over the past however many years that Nancy Pelosi has been speaker for or leader of the Democrat Party, for example, um, she has faced equal similar odds against mm-hmm. her um, with with Democrats vowing, especially back when we still had there were still sane Democrats in the House, which mm-hmm. there are very few left anymore, but there used to be more. Um, and uh, and so and, and every two years we would have we would all you know the press would go into hysterics about oh this is going to be the year that we're going to have some brokered fight over speakership and it was going to and she was going to lose out and somehow Batman was going to become <laughs> speaker generally and this is true going back you know over a hundred years generally even if you have a little bit of a fight at the end of the day. Republicans rally around and they realize, okay, uh, this is our 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 best shot, and they'll rally around Kevin McCarthy. Um, it's a tough job. Mm. It, I mean, I, I wouldn't wish that job on my worst enemy, 
And so in a lot of ways, kudos to uh, Kevin McCarthy for, for wanting to take it on because uh, it is so hard, especially if you believe in uh, allowing your, your caucus to have a voice, individuals in your caucus to have a voice. The reason Nancy Pelosi has been successful is because she, she does not allow for any dissent whatsoever. They're <laughs> brutal over there. And, uh, but, I do, but in the end, I think that, that Kevin McCarthy probably winds up uh, maybe not getting every single Republican vote, um, but just simply because there is a little bit of wiggle room. But uh, I, I, if, I had, if I had to bet on it, I would bet that he winds up being. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't know. I had him. Uh, I interviewed him. I guess it was Thursday. He was in fine mental, fine spirits. Um, but I don't know. I think he's going to figure out a way. Anyway, who the hell else are they going to get to do it? Nobody else is going to do it. As you say, it's going to be a pretty hard job. Would you want to do that? Uh, actually, if somebody asked me, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, you actually would probably unify the party. You, I got you the would whole, be a consensus pick. I've got the whole thing mapped out. <laughs> We're going to be the stewards of economic prosperity. Um, do you think the mainstream media uh, understands the significance of a Republican House? I mean, I don't really know that it's sunk in yet, to be honest with you. They're still talking about, you know, Kevin's battles to become speakers. But the bigger picture is uh, Biden's agenda is basically finished. He can operate um, he can operate pen and telephone, I suppose, with the executive regulations. But all money bills originate in the House, spending and taxing. And that's going to include Green New Deal stuff. And that's going to include the IRS stuff. And that doesn't even include the various oversight things that Jim uh, Jordan and Comer is going to do. You follow me? I mean, I don't think that people understand how important this is. Only time in history we've ever seen the party in power lose control of the House, lose the speakership of the House of Representatives in the first midterm, and somehow the media portrays it as a loss. <laughs> it's kind right. of incredible. Right. And then, yes. and, and then and then and then you bring on people like Jim Jordan, uh, you know, the media talks to people like Jim Jordan and talks about some of these very, very gravely serious issues that are going to be investigated. And then they immediately put him on the defensive and they ask questions like, oh, do you think you're going to get this done in two years? Do you really think anybody cares about this stuff? Mm. Well, you know, I, I mean, could, could you where were those questions back when? when the media and Democrats were making up out of whole cloth all these ridiculous, obviously untrue stories about uh, Trump being some puppet of Putin and hotel rooms in Moscow and all this crazy stuff that they that they literally peddled for five years. Um, I do think it's incumbent upon Republicans and Jim Jordan and, and Republicans investigating these very important issues that, that, that you never open your mouth Talk about Hunter Biden or any of the nefarious dealings of the Biden family without reminding voters that this has nothing to do with Hunter Biden and hookers and cocaine and all the creepy stuff. Mm -hmm. It all has to do with the Biden family earning millions of dollars from foreign governments in Ukraine, China, Mexico and around the world in order to change our, our foreign policy and selling out the American uh, people and the American taxpayer and changing government policies 
because the Biden family was paid millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That connection has to be made every time. We don't care about the hookers. We don't care about the creepy sex tapes and the cocaine and the crack or whatever it is that the guy does. We don't care about any of that. What we care about is the American people being sold out China or Ukraine or Mexico in, 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 in an effort to enrich the Biden family. That's and, and, and Republicans have to come back to that every time they talk about these investigations. Foreign influence peddling. Foreign influence peddling yes. for big money to the Bidens. Father was involved. Everybody knows that now. We've known it for quite some time. We just haven't been able to hold hearings about it. Democrats try to ignore it. But I think Newt Gingrich has a point here, Charlie Hurt, and that is uh, in terms of the oversight, how about 10 percent, maybe 15 percent, but the rest of it should be policy stuff. For example, and this is my uh, pet hobby horse, um, we need energy security. We need to take the handcuffs off oil and gas. I'd like to see an H.R. 1 that does that, permitting bill, pipelining, all the Green New Deal stuff. Trump called it Green New Deal socialism the other day. I think that's about right. So I, I got Republicans have to lead us back to economic prosperity, Charlie Hurt, in our last minute. And it all has to be on issues, like you say. But even even with in terms of gas prices, if, if you're talking about the nefarious dealings between the Biden, the corrupt dealings between the Biden family and mm. Ukraine or wherever, bring it back to gas prices. Oh. Everything has to come back to the issues. Good stuff. Charlie Hurt, Washington Times, Fox News. Can't thank you enough. Have a fabulous weekend. Folks, you too, Charlie. On the side of the uh, break, we're going to talk to Tyler Goodspeed, former CA chair, about the state of the economy, which, frankly, ain't great. I'm Cudlow. Please stick around. Now, here's Larry Cudlow. Welcome back, everybody. This is Larry Kudlow. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. And join us during the week, by the way, Fox Business. Name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And if for some crazy reason you can't can't, uh, be around at 4, you could text your favorite 9-year-old who will teach you how to DVR the show. And here uh, you can live stream us. LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, live stream us on the Internet. It'll run throughout the country, around the world, and the solar system. We're waiting to find my pal, Tyler Goodspeed. Up, We found Tyler Goodspeed, who's former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors in the Trump administration. He's also a Hoover Institution fellow. He's also uh, with the America First Policy Institute. Tyler, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it, buddy. Good to be here, Larry. So I, w- I want to get to the big picture stuff, uh, you know, uh, stewards of prosperity. But I want to talk about the economy. Um, I don't remember if we got to this yesterday in our panel or what, but the index of leading indicators from the conference board continues to crash. And uh, consumer confidence, likewise, and existing home sales, likewise. I mean, some it's funny. The GDP now has got 4% plus, but there's a lot of bad stuff coming out. Where do you see the economy right now? Where do you see the economy in the new year? Yeah, so I guess let's go through line by line. I mean, I I see, as you said, residential investment is in deeply negative territory. That's that's likely to continue with continued rate hikes. 
business investment had had an okay quarter last quarter, but with a rising cost of capital, I, I, I think that's going to be really weak, probably negative moving forward. Exports, we had a bit of a pop last quarter because Europe was importing a lot of oil, uh, but the rest of the world is slowing down. So really, the, the, the thing that's going to be keeping the U.S. economy chugging along is the U.S. consumer. they got a ton of savings still, particularly the bottom 50%. But, uh, you know, at some point that dissipates. So I think once the, once the consumer starts to flag, that, that's, when we, that's when we dip into recession. I mean, you know, it's a, hardly anybody looks at the index of leading indicators. It's almost a lost art. Now, I go, I've been <laughs> looking at this stuff for so many years. When I worked on Wall Street ages ago, we used to use this. But this thing's down nine consecutive months. And um, that is traditionally... Uh, that's a recession signal. I mean, it's, it's, and by the way, housing starts figures prominently uh, in that, but there's a whole bunch of things, including an inverted yield curve. I mean, that's the thing that uh, kind of worries me, uh, makes me think that no matter what happens, you get a few good numbers in October, but I don't know. I don't think it's for real. I mean, do you ever look at the LEI? I mean, it's a it's a lost art, but it's, it used to be very important. It is something I look at. The other thing I look at is survey data, Larry. Right, and and when you look at what small businesses in the National Federation of Independent Businesses survey are saying, when you look at what consumers in the Michigan survey are saying, they are reporting recession level recession levels of, of optimism and, mm-hmm. and they have a really, really dim outlook. So that, that certainly portends a lot of trouble. I think the only thing that has been sort of keeping us out of recession has been still that, that excess accumulation of savings by consumers. They had some big real gains in, in net worth because of the run up in housing prices. That's still there. Uh, but once those real wealth gains dissipate and once the, 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 the final remnants of those excess savings are, are spent, then then I think there's there's really nothing left keeping this, this chugging along. Have we felt the brunt of the Fed's tightening yet? No. I think that we have felt it in the two most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, namely housing and and autos. Mm-hmm. where we've started to see some weakness, but I don't think we've seen it in the rest of the economy, and that's why there's still 5 million more job openings than, than unemployed workers. So um, Wall Street's looking for a soft landing. Uh, the Fed is praying for a soft landing. But soft landings, I don't know. If you take the inflation rate down from 10 to 2, I don't see that as a soft landing. No, and look, you look, Look, Larry, you and I are students of history as well as of economics, and I, I think one lesson in the 1970s is it, it's hard to get inflation back down without breaking something. I mean, we had sovereign debt crises in, in Latin America in the 70s and 80s. We had a lot of savings and loan issues. I think we had commercial bank. Uh, there, were, there were lots of things break when you're trying to aggressively halt, and, and it's hard for me to see things not breaking. <laughs> Something's going to break. Is this crypto crash uh, a sign of that, or is that an isolated event? I think it's a sign. I I don't see systemic risk in that, but I think Mm. it's a sign that there was a lot of of capital allocated to enterprises whose profits were very far in the future, (laughs) 
And yeah. when you have to discount those future profits at a higher rate, suddenly valuations collapse. Yeah, that's a good point. That's an important point. The interest rate impact affects stocks, too. I mean, one other thing that we we have, profits are still rising. Um, at least I think they are. Now, there's GDP profits, which is the broadest measure, and that's a lagging indicator. But if profits start falling left and right, even the S&P 500 profits, that would be a recession signal, too. It would, yeah. I mean, I don't know where that's coming. I mean, you get Wall Street. You've, you've had some, you know, a lot of beats, but you've also had some declines. I mean, I think that's another important factor. What about the inverted yield curve? Was that? I mean, that's a recession signal. I'm just looking at this. Um, the three-month Treasury bill at 423, Tyler, is way on top of now the 393 10-year note. Now, that's the old New York Fed model. T-bill rate, once that inverts, um, and it's been, it's now inverting. That usually means a recession inside of the next year. Uh, the T-bill rate is, uh, the 10-year rate has fallen from four and a quarter down to 380. The T-bill rate is now up to 423. It's discounting more Fed tightening, et cetera, et cetera. There's another recession signal right there. It is, and of course, it's, it's difficult to, to, know what exactly the yield curve is telling us at this moment because the, the Fed is letting a lot of shorter-term debt. saw an inverted yield curve in early fall 2019, which correctly predicted a recession, but I don't think anyone in the bond market was foreseeing COVID at that at that stage. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a historic, very reliable historical indicator. It might be a little bit more noisy as a signal this time. Do you think there's anything that you've got this Republican Congress and presumably they're pro-growth and presumably they want less spending and taxing and they want more uh, oil and gas uh, open the spigot. Can they prevent? I mean, can they do something to stop a recession? I don't know that they can. I mean, they may be well-intentioned. I'm just not sure. I mean, forces are in place. It's an interesting question, Tyler Goodspeed. You know, what can they do? I'm not sure they can do anything. Yeah, I, I I don't see it because at the end of the day, I think that so long as inflation is as hot as it is, the Fed is going to have to continue to, to try to bring demand down. Now, what, what Republicans in Congress can do is try to facilitate a rapid recovery by removing some of the regulatory and tax policy uncertainty that the Biden administration has introduced so we can help to, to, to facilitate a bigger snapback, a faster snapback. But in terms of preventing a recession, I don't know that there's a lot they can do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, of course, you know, Biden is uh, so obsessed with the Green New Deal. Um, if they try, let's, you know, you and I we were, and a bunch of others were talking uh, at the America First thing yesterday. Uh, uh, Biden will veto anything against the Green New Deal. <laughs> I mean, he'll be sinking his own ship in that respect. Yep, he'll veto anything. And then, as you and I have discussed before, they, the cat's kind of out of the bag now because the, because the Biden administration and the Democrats in Congress have been so hard on domestic energy production, there is a big future risk for our domestic energy producers to invest in, in, in new permitting, new exploration, new drilling, because a, a, a new rig, you have to depreciate that over 39 and a half years. And mm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of regulatory risk now. 
Yeah, that's a good point. You really can't turn the spigot on like that overnight. You really can't. That was your point yesterday. These That's why the depreciation bonus is so important. Uh, that starts to, we start losing that in 2023. I think it goes, we lose 20% of it each year or something, yep. or then it goes to 50%. So that was your point. That's an important point. It's very hard to turn that ship around right away. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, I, what's your, say, Tomas Phillipson, we were talking to him, seemed kind of pessimistic about inflation. I think you are too. It's coming down, but it's going to be sticky. Is that your point? It is, Larry, because, you know, we've seen thus far sort of the easy part of disinflation. What we haven't seen is the hard part, which is once you get down to sort of 4 to 5 percent, and that's where expectations are. Mm-hmm. So to get to get inflation back down to 2 percent when expectations are well above 2 percent, you're, you're, you're going to have to bring demand down by a lot more than it's, it's come down thus far. And they're not going to – the Bidens won't let supply pick up. So you're no. stuck. You're stuck. Yep. That's right. Um, yeah, well, recession economy, I hate to see it. When's the labor market? What's your outlook for the labor market? We should start seeing, uh, some pickups in weekly unemployment claims probably. Yeah, although I think the labor market might have a a bit more to run just because it's hard to see a a ton of layoffs when you still have that big big excess of of open jobs over unemployed workers. Some of it, there may be some double counting, but I I think that's going to come down before we start seeing a lot of layoffs. But look, Larry, the tricky thing is now that that we had the the, the massive fiscal and monetary stimulus, there's going to be some reallocation that's going to have to happen. We had some bubbles in real estate. We had some bubbles in tech. And that labor is going to be reallocated. Mm. So we have a worried Tyler Goodspeed. Is that fair? I think that's a fair assessment. (laughs) Okay. You're a prince (laughs) for helping us this morning. Thank you, Tyler. Take care of yourself. Anytime. Take care, Larry. Folks, I'd like to be more optimistic, but I think Tyler's right. He's a very smart guy. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And we got to review a very ugly story, this whole uh, crash going on. Uh, <laughs> this, this, the crash going on in the crypto market is such an ugly story. It's beyond belief. So hang on. Dave Bonson is going to come on and help us out a little bit. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back with Dave Bonson and the crypto crash. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. 
I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to bring in my great pal, David Bonson, founder of the Bonson Group, and uh, my dear friend, David Bonson. We don't have too much time, but you know what? I'm just reading this crypto crash, uh, Bankman Freed, FTX, blah, blah, blah. This guy, you, help, you understand this a heck of a lot more than I do, but it, it, he was stealing from... He was stealing from the exchange, and there were insider loans up to a. He was lending up to one billion dollars to himself. He was taking customer money and lending it to himself, and then Lord knows where that money went. I mean, can you help us with this? Because this story continues to get worse the more we learn about it. Oh, it sure does, Larry. And I think that what his uh, line is going to be is that he was lending money to another entity he controlled and that that entity was lending it to him. And I have a very sneaking suspicion that that's not going to work. That that supposed line of demarcation will be crossed. It, it's a brutal story. You, of course, saw this week the, the person they've appointed, the sort of interim CEO and kind of cleanup specialist, who was the one who handled the Enron um, uh, kind of sorting through the Enron debacle, he said it's the worst example of, of misgovernance or non-governance and malfeasance he's ever seen. And I'm assuming he's including in that list Enron. <laughs> right. Um, so what do you make of this? I mean, where does this story lead? Will it lead to regulations? Uh, is this kid, uh, uh, you know, the FDX, is he going to jail I mean, it was like total insider dealing. And then some of this money that he took for himself, he then farmed out to various politicians. Uh, and I might add, it sounds like there were Republicans in there, too, not just Democrats. So where's this going to lead? Yeah, I mean, I know you and you know me, and we are two of the last people on the planet that are going to sit here on the radio talking about the need for regulation of mm. anything. And, and yet I will tell you that I think there are two things that can kill the crypto space, and that is if the government comes in and regulates it and if the government doesn't come in and regulate it. <laughs> well put. Well put. Be, be, because right now nobody is rebutting the argument that it exists only for the purpose of facilitating rank criminality. Mm. And and I don't I don't know if he's going to jail or not. We'll we'll let the the legal side play out. You have this offshore component, and some of it's in the Bahamas, and some crosses into the U.S. entity. You know, and I get a little tired of all that shenanigans too. And uh, I don't think the people on the right need to be defending folks that are clearly skirting law. And 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 so in this case, he's not going to be a sympathetic character. But you're right; he has tried to pay off a lot of politicians and. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's good for the space, but it's not because one bad actor spoils the whole bunch. Larry, what we've now found out is that the whole move up in crypto was a leveraged Ponzi, that mm. people were buying crypto with money that didn't exist over and over again. So as an investment manager, I mean, would you say to people just stay away from crypto investing? Yes, I have said it for over two years. I have a clip on the number one uh, TV show on financial uh, television with the great Larry Kudlow from two years ago, right when your show started. Where I said it, we're sending we're sending that clip out to all my clients to sort of show how early we were. 
Uh-huh. In saying this, but but look, Larry, I, I am, and the reason is, first of all, just in terms of what we do investment-wise, we want things that have an internal rate of return that are cash flow generative. We want to invest in human action, and we don't think that crypto does that. But secondly, I think the space is going to have a lot of shakeout, a lot mm-hmm. of volatility, a lot of uncertainty, and so unless someone is really into a speculative situation, I don't think this is for us. The shakeout you speak of, does that spill over, David Bonson, into other assets? You know, it's fascinating that it hasn't because um, from the top of Bitcoin to where the crypto space at large is now, there is over $2 trillion of wealth that has been set on fire. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to go down in history, I pray, as dot-com number two where there's Mm. brutal losses, they're very sad, they're severe, but the people who took the risk take the loss. Mm. I don't yet, I don't yet see contagion. And if it doesn't spill over into other elements, because largely, Larry, the U.S. banking system avoided this nonsense. And so that will be a good thing if it does not become infectious. No, I think I've been saying that. I've been pointing out that, you know, it doesn't really have systemic financial risk. The banks are well well capitalized. It's you really don't see there's no massive stock market crack up going on side by side with this crypto crash business. So and bonds, I mean the interest rates have come off. So it doesn't look like it's gonna spread. I mean, whatever's gonna happen in stocks is gonna happen in stocks because of stocks and companies. And you know, you're a big dividend player and I always like that. But the crypto thing is largely self contained at least at the moment. I agree, and and I hope it stays that way. And really, if you go back to the early 2000s, that is what happened with dot-com. There was massive 99% loss of value in a lot of these early tech companies, but it didn't end up hurting in the end Disney and and Raytheon and big industrial companies. Uh, even, Even the financial sector came out of it kind of fine. So that's where we are with it right now. And if someone had told me two weeks ago that the market would be up 2,000 points in a two-week period where crypto was down another 25% and the headlines were dominated by a, a tens of billion dollar of fraud situation. I mean, back in the day, tens of billions of fraud, that was Lehman and Enron and Arthur Andrews, or uh, not, uh, not Arthur, uh, uh, WorldCom, right? I mean, those were big stories. Mm. This hasn't been. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Dave Bonson, thank you for the uh, catch-up on this story. We appreciate it very much. Talk soon. All right, folks, we're going to take a uh, we're going to take a quick break, and um, I don't even know what we're going to do the next time around. But stay with us. I'm Kudlow. It'll be entertaining once I figure out my notes. We're at an undisclosed location in West Palm Beach, Florida. I got to figure this story out. <laughs> This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to talk to my great friend, DeRoy Murdoch, senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research and a Fox News contributor. So, DeRoy, thanks for coming on. What's the Herschel Walker update? What's that look like? You know, all the Trump declaring for president. Now we have a special counsel attacking Trump. We almost forgot about Herschel Walker, but... 50-50 in the Senate is a lot better than 51-49, correct me if I'm wrong. 
Yeah, Larry, absolutely right about that. And great to speak with you uh, this morning. Yeah, I think uh, because of, you know, because we didn't win the Senate, I think a lot of people were kind of shocked by all that and depressed. And I know uh, first uh, several days after the uh, election, I pretty much kept the shades down and uh, binge watched on Netflix. So I've gotten a little bit past that at this point. But... How was that, by the way? <laughs> uh, the crown is wonderful, and I highly recommend the young royals. I basically oh. spent uh, four or five days with European royalty as, a, as a, an antidote to all of the nonsense here. But, uh, yeah, the uh, Walker-Warnock uh, runoff is December 6th, and this is very important. Uh, very important people don't just forget about this. And you're right. This is uh, there's a big difference between a 51-49 Democrat uh, Senate versus a 50-50 Senate with Kamala Harris. Essentially, what Herschel Walker, uh, if a victory by Herschel Walker in the runoff uh, takes place, what this does is put Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema in a position once again where they can say to Chuck Schumer, "Okay, Chuck, this is too crazy. You've gone too far. We're not going to go along with this." And essentially, Herschel Walker is, if you will, the the um, uh, catalyst for the uh, Joe Manchin emergency break in the Senate. If Herschel Walker isn't there and, Ralph, uh, and Raphael Warnock goes back, it'll be a 51-49 Senate, and it will require uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to stop things if mm. they both get on board, and that's that much harder. So, uh, you know, we won't have total control of the Senate, but putting Herschel Walker there in charge puts Joe Manchin and or Kirsten Sinema in a position to uh, limit the amount of damage that Chuck Schumer and the rest of the crazy Democrats can do in the Senate. So, Dorai, uh, what do we know? I mean, um, when I left this story, uh, McConnell was putting in $2 million and Governor Brian Kemp was going to run the get-out-the-vote operation, which is a good thing. Kemp, who's a good governor and has a terrific get-out-the-vote, he was going to help Herschel Walker kind of take that over. That was last week before the fireworks started, before President Trump, for example, former President Trump announced, and then the special uh, council and all that. Uh, is there anything new? I mean, what kind of shape is Herschel Walker in? Is there any way to tell? Well, I know he's out campaigning, uh, and uh, there was a wonderful ad he did after the runoff began that uh, is available. Uh, it was shown on Hannity, and it's also attached to an article I did that's in uh, Newsmax that just got posted this morning. Uh, and it shows him on the campaign trail saying, you know, bring it on. Uh, I've won every apparently every uh, overtime game he's ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, I'm built for this. Uh, bring it on. I'm, re- I'm ready for Warnock. And so he's uh, very uh, defiant and courageous and uh, confident and all that good stuff, and I think that will help him out. Uh, and I think it's very important for people uh, on the right, Republicans and conservatives, to, to remember this race. Don't just forget this is all over. You know, the midterms, midterms basically continue all the way into December 6th. You know, <laughs> we think of midterms ending in Election Day. No, they're actually going past Thanksgiving at this point. So stay engaged, stay involved. It's TeamHerschel.com is his website, and you can uh, learn more about him and support him by uh, going to that website and uh, participating in this project, whether you're in Georgia or outside. You know, Jerome Murdoch, I had him on the TV show last week, and um, he was very good. I asked him, I said, you know, Warnock's going to throw mud at you. I think Warnock had already started to throw some more mud at him. And I said, you know, you want to respond high road? you want to go low road? He basically said he wanted to go high road. He wanted to stick with the issues on inflation and spending and taxing and regulating and the border and so forth, the bread and butter issues. Uh, But then he said, you know, if they want to tempt me. I'll go low road. You'll, you know, you'll never see anything like it. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Warnock is a big left wing guy, isn't he? I mean, he's trying to make himself out to be some kind of moderate, but he's 100 percent Biden vote, isn't he? 
Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the, the left always like say, oh, he's a middle of the road, centrist, moderate. No, there's nothing moderate about this guy at all. He has an uh, American conservative union rating. Uh, zero is the most left wing, 100 is the most right wing. He has an eight. So he's, you know, 8% of the time he votes with conservatives, 92% of the time he mm. votes vo- votes at the left. And uh, he votes with Biden 96% of the time. That doesn't sound very middle of the road to me at all. Uh, and he had one very, very busy day on August 7th as they were looking, uh, the Senate was debating the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, in one 24 hour period, he voted yes on 87,000 brand new IRS agents. Uh, he voted no to 18,000 new Border Patrol agents. And he also voted against an amendment by Mike Crapo of Idaho that would have said none of these new 87,000 IRS agents could uh, audit Americans who made less than $400,000 a year. Hmm. Uh, so the Democrats had, had the opportunity to say, look, we'll take these new IRS agents. We'll go after Elon Musk. We'll go after Bill Gates. We'll go after Warren Buffett and these multi-billionaires. And Warnock and the Democrats said, no, 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 let's also go after uh, the barbers and the bus drivers and the, and the, uh, uh, the maids and the uh, nurses and cops and teachers, people making $400,000 a year, $100,000 a year, $50,000 a year. Let, let's make sure that they're in the crosshairs of the IRS. So a guy who votes for 87,000 IRS agents votes to sick them on people making $400,000 or below, and then votes against 18,000 brand new Border Patrol agents all in 24 hours is not my definition of a moderate mm. or a centrist. You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of people, probably including myself, were concerned if um, former President Trump announces candidacy that might distract from Herschel Walker or put Herschel in a tough spot. Now, that's all been overturned by this uh, this uh, special counsel appointment by Merritt Garland in the uh, politically weaponized Justice Department. So that doesn't really matter anymore. And actually, there might even be a sympathy vote of President Trump because the charges against him are so stupid. I mean, this whole thing about documents with the National Archives is stupid. And the idea that Trump was not going to permit a transfer of power is stupid. So it's transparently stupid and political and obsessive against Trump. So I don't maybe Herschel Walker benefits from that. People say, wait, 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 we need checks and balances. Well, yeah, it is amazing that the uh, Merrick Garland repeatedly is turning uh, you know, mean, nasty uh, Donald J. Trump into a victim. I mean, people have got to look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's supposed to be the, the biggest monster in the American political landscape. And, uh, you know, they just, just keep throwing rocks at him. They won't stop it. It's relentless. He's not in office anymore. And you would think as somebody who is as announced as a presidential candidate that uh, you wouldn't attack him and, and, and uh, indict him, or not indict him, I should say, uh, announce a special prosecutor. There's something very kind of, uh, as I say, equatorial, very, very third world about this. And, mm. you know, this country, every, every day that goes by looks a little, little more like Paraguay which is so embarrassing and humiliating. And as you say, if he really wanted, the whole thing is, oh, he didn't allow this peaceful transfer of power. People forget that before January 6th, uh, Donald J. Trump uh, authorized 10,000 National Guard troops to be in Washington, D.C. to keep the peace on January 6th. And Nancy Pelosi and uh, Muriel Bowser, the the Democrat mayor of Washington, D.C., said, no, we don't want them to stand down. And there would have been no January 6th attack on the Capitol if there had been 10,000 National Guard troops to protect the building. And Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat mayor of D.C. said, no, thanks. We don't want them. And look what happened. So I find it hard to believe that Trump was engaging in some sort of a coup while at the same time he was trying to put the National Guard in place to prevent his people from taking over the Capitol. The whole thing makes no sense. It doesn't add up. And the Democrats have been you know, chasing this, you know, chasing this ghost around for uh, essentially since he came down the escalator. And I wish they you – know, if they're going to disagree with the man, do it on the basis of policy, not on the basis of trying to invent crimes against him that uh, didn't occur which he didn't uh, – he did not perpetrate. Well, how about this counter view? 
uh, at this point, Trump going down to Georgia. I mean, Herschel Walker has said that he wants Trump to campaign for him or he'd welcome him campaign for him. Trump going down to Georgia, DeRoy, might be a big help for Herschel Walker. Might turn out as a big help for Herschel Walker. It might help. I mean, you know, the, the downside of having uh, Donald J. Trump show up is it pumps up the left to a degree because he's basically Satan to them. Uh, but the other side of it is it may pump up the right. You know, there may be people who think again, gee, we lost the Senate. Uh, midterms are turned out so well. Let's just go Christmas shopping and forget about this. And if Trump is there to remind people, look, this is important. A 51-49 Senate, sorry, a 50-50 Senate is better than 51-49 Democrat Senate. And it might motivate uh, people on the right as well as uh, independents and thinking Democrats to show up at the polls and, and vote and put Herschel Walker in and send Warnock back to the uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm sure he'll do a nice job preaching on Sundays. And evicting people. But um, tr- uh, Trump's got to tell people to come turn out and vote. Republican turnout, conservative turnout. Very important here, Droy. Very important. Is that was, that's what mucked up everything two years ago with these Georgia runoffs. Unfortunately, a lo- uh, there's the attitude on the part of some people on the right that, uh, hey, I'm going to go vote, but it doesn't matter because they're, you know, they're not going to count my ballots. There is some chance if you show up and vote, they don't count your ballots. But if you don't go to the polls, I promise you, they're not going to count your ballot if you don't cast it in the first right. place. So people need to show up. And the best way to overcome uh, shenanigans on the part of the left and Democrats is to overwhelm them and, and make sure that the Republican conservative candidate wins beyond the margin of fraud or even, frankly, just beyond the margin of incompetence. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of even if you don't believe there's widespread and crazy vote fraud in this country, there's a lot of incompetence. There are a lot of things that just, you know, don't work well, like voting machines breaking down and running out of ballot papers. Uh, so we need to go in there and vote beyond the margin of incompetence, at least, or beyond the margin of fraud at worst. And then our candidates have a chance of winning. And I think that will happen with Herschel Walker if people stay focused, stay energized, stay motivated, and show up at the polls and vote for Herschel Walker for U.S. There's early voting, right? Early voting? I don't. Is I assume that's early voting by mail or what? I don't know the all the rules down there, but I know there's early voting because it's, it's been in the papers. Uh, and there is, and the Democrats are trying to make it earlier and earlier. There's some debate about starting it. I think it's a week from today, which would be the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I think the Republicans want to make it a little later to narrow the amount of time in which shenanigans can take place. The Democrats want to make it – if they if they could have this election take place last July, they would. Uh, or start it you know, as soon as I hang up the phone with you. But uh, it could start as early as a week from today. And you know, I hope people follow whatever rules are there. And uh, and go vote. I have my own personal hostility to early voting, but as long as the system's in place, you know, vote vote early, vote on election day, vote somewhere somewhere uh, between now and when the polls close, and make sure that those ballots are in there for Herschel Walker. Vote early and often. Democrats do that early and often. Republicans should do it too. Whatever. Well, early, often, and posthumously. In the case of the Democrats. <laughs> All right, <Deroy> Murdoch. <laughs> this is great stuff. Thank you, my friend. We'll Thank talk you, Larry. Soon. Be I'll well. See you on the care. TV. Have a great Folks, weekend. we're going to take a quick break and talk to my dear friend Brookie Rollins, who is the CEO of the highly successful America First Policy Institute. That's why we're down here in Palm Beach and West Palm Beach in the first place. Anyway, Brooke Rollins coming up. I'm Cudlow. Please stick around. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow, and we bring in my dear friend, Brookie Rollins. First of all, she was the director of the Domestic Policy Council in the Trump White House and presently 
is president and CEO of the America First Policy Institute. Full disclosure, I am her vice chair and dear friend, and Brooke has built up. Brooke, you had built up an unbelievable operation in, what, a year, a year and a half? Uh, well, and it's on display Larry, down here. I mean, really, hats off to you. Tremendous. You, you ought to run one of these crypto companies. Straighten them out next. Uh, That's a joke. That's a joke. Well, it's a joy to be on. And it was not me. It was we have built the America First Policy Institute into an unprecedented battleship for freedom for the next hundred years for this country. So what an honor to do it alongside you. And uh, we talked about it in the White House, how we continue the unmitigated success of the policies of the Trump era. And we didn't see anyone else that could do it in a in a really you know, amazing way. And so when you don't see it out there, you just got to do it yourself. Right, Larry? Well, I think that's exactly right. And I think, look, at um, these are conservative policies. They're growth, economic growth and prosperity policies. They're law and order policies. They're close the border policies. In other words, this thing spans uh, a, a variety of areas and we're open for business to anybody that wants some help. Is that the idea? I mean, I think we need to clarify that. Well, that's 100% right. And, you know, we're nonpartisan. We're a 501c3. We're an educational institution. Now, that doesn't mean we're not, a, we're not hustlers, right? We're building battleship tanks here, but it's based on the policy. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not necessarily Trump or DeSantis or whomever else may be running. It's for everyone. It's even for if there's a Democrat that wakes up one day and decides now all of a sudden they should be a conservative, Mm. then guess where they should go? The America First Policy Institute. And I think part of the magic, Larry, also is that it isn't just about Congress. I think to date, you know, so much of our movement has been really focused on Washington, D.C., and that is important and that is a priority. But an equal opportunity is the efforts at the state level. The state's Really are the guardians at the gate. They're the ones proving liberty works every day. We've seen it in Florida firsthand, my home state of Texas. And now it's time to go into other states like a California and a New York and a Washington and Oregon and prove there that these policies work and are for everyone. So you were texting me on this uh, point, policies working for everyone, cons- the spread of conservative policies. And you mentioned the big voter turnaround in Miami-Dade County in uh, Florida, Governor DeSantis. Uh, I'm going to guess Marco Rubio did very well in Miami-Dade County, too. I don't know uh, what those numbers are. But the point is um, conservative policies are infiltrating lots of new places. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. And we saw it for the first time in our administration. We saw Well, and really not surprising, right? Unprecedented levels of economic success, prosperity brought to the the most, you know, underserved areas in our country who'd never really seen the American dream before, didn't understand it until really I'll call it the Cutlow era, but in the Trump administration. But these economic policies really, really work. And so part of our job is to ensure that every American, but especially those uh, from these underserved communities, understand what policies will serve them the best. And it clearly isn't the decades, generations long side, you know, the left idea of more government, more welfare, chaining you Mm -hmm. to the government check. It is the side of freedom and prosperity. And sometimes it's a harder argument to make. But at the end of the day, we were able to make it in the Trump administration. And now 
we've seen extraordinary results. We've seen Hispanics moving our way in, in gigantic numbers, black Americans, uh, blue-collar workers. I mean, we've really seen all of it. But I think you mentioned Miami-Dade. I do think that's one of the most instructive lessons of this last election in such a positive way. Donald Trump lost Miami-Dade by 20 points to Hillary Clinton in 2016. In 2020, he only lost to Joe Biden by eight points. Mm. Two years later, Ron DeSantis wins by, I think, 10 or 11 points. Larry, that's a 30 or 40-point swing in our direction from failed leftist policies to the America First agenda. And it is very encouraging for every urban area around the country that is deep blue, that is struggling with crime and unemployment and murder and all of the things we see these blue cities struggling with. We can turn them all around. It's just going to take a strategic, intentional effort in implementing America First policies at every level of government, but including our, our urban areas. Well, I think Hispanics in particular want to work. I don't think they want welfare. I think they want workfare. I think they're very industrious. I I think actually uh, there's a potential coalition here. Probably Hispanics lead the way amongst minorities. But, of course, Asians have always worked. Um, Small business owners, that's a whole new area, okay? And that can be, I don't care who you are, what the color of your skin are, uh, race, gender, any of that stuff. People start up their own small business. So they'd like government to get out of the way. They'd like government to give them some incentives, right? Keep more of what you earn. I mean, I think that's where this is going. As long as it's expressed positively and constructively, people will get that. Well, you are 1,000% right. And to add to even that, the fastest growing segment of small business when we were in the White House were women-owned businesses. The second fastest were Hispanic-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. So small business, and, you know, our our dear friend and sister and partner in all this, Linda McMahon, was the head Mm -hmm. of the Small Business Administration. And part of the great magic, I think, of the Trump administration was the focus on the American worker and small business and flipping the table that it is our side that's really looking out for that American worker and for that small business owner. It's not the other side. But they are the drivers of our economy. They are the ones who are raising the families and ensuring that the America we know today will be here tomorrow. So ensuring that they have the the environment to continue to build their small business and to expand it is one of the most important things I think we could ever focus on as America First conservatives and one that I think the next White House, um, hopefully with an America First president in it, will uh, really be bringing that back to bear after these last two years that will then be four years. I mean, I think if we, um, you know, if we develop an outlook that we want to be the stewards of economic prosperity, what we have to say to people is we are going to make it easier and more rewarding for you to work and own a business. Easier, in other words, get rid of the red tape wherever that exists, and more rewarding after tax. That's our mission. There's a lot of other stuff. Look, you need to have crime on the you, you need to stop crime on the streets. You need to stop crime on the subways. Crime is anti-growth. It's profoundly anti-growth. So no that's doubt. You know, it, right. It ties in. Uh, it ties in perfectly well. But we need to say to these groups, um, 
We're just going to make it easier and more rewarding. Right? Those are conservative policies. That's different than welfareism. Well, that's 100% right. And, you know, I grew up the, the daughter of a single mom, and she supported my sisters and me in a very small town on the plains of Texas, population 1,200, mm. with a small business. She was a florist, and she didn't know how to support her girls, newly left without a second income, without my, my father, and looked around and said, okay, I'm really good. I'm very creative. Why don't I try to open a flower shop? And there were two other flower shops already in business in this tiny town in Texas. And within three years, she was so good at it. And I grew up delivering flowers and balloons and dethorning roses. But mm. she was so good at it, the other two flower shops had gone out of business. And she figured out a way to raise her girls, to do it in a way without government help, and to do it in an environment where she could thrive. And mm. that's what we need to preserve for all Americans, for the yes. next single mom with three little girls from the plains of Texas. That's fabulous. Brookie Rollins, America First. Thanks ever so much for coming on. Folks, we're going to take a break and then do some stock market work on the other side. Thanks, Larry. You betcha. Thanks, Brooke. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. And as always, I make a pitch. Join us during the week. Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow. 4 to 5 p.m. every day. All folks are welcome. And we're going to do some stock market work. We got Mike Ozanian of uh, Forbes Magazine and the S yes Network, and we have Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley. So, welcome, folks. I'm broadcasting from an undisclosed location in West Palm Beach, Florida. Not really sure what's going on. Half, ex- <laughs> half exhausted from a couple days down here, but it's interesting. Stock market going sideways. Interest rates, uh, market rates coming down. Uh, But I want to raise this point. You know, uh, you've got an inverted curve, gentlemen. Um, The classic New York Fed, uh, T-bill versus 10-year. That was the Fed model. If that inverts, you got a recession within a year. All right. The T-bill is at 423. The 10-year is down to 383. It got as high as, I don't know, four and a quarter, maybe even higher than four and a quarter. I just find this very interesting. Uh, the Fed's going to continue to tighten, maybe maybe not 75, maybe they'll do 50 in December, but they're still going to be tightening policy. The M2 money supply is, is, is cr- I'll use the word, it's crashing. It was up 30% uh, by the early part of 2021. It's now flat or slightly negative in, in growth. It's contracting, in other words. So I want to try to figure all this out. Michael Zanian, I know you watch the M2 money supply. Uh, few people do nowadays. I, I give it a look. I'm not the monetarist that I was 30 or 40 years ago. But you can't ignore that, and you've got an inverted curve. So what does this tell you? I think we're going to have a recession probably first quarter 2023, Larry. Um, I think 
what you're seeing in the money supply is leading into what you're seeing in, I guess we call it core GDP, personal consumption, business investment, and home building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's last quarter, just a 0.1% pace uh, versus the traditional GDP of 2.6% annual rate. So I think, I think it's leading there. And I think, for lack of a better term, the easy work on inflation has kind of been done already, but mm. to get it below, you know, anything close to 2% is going to be much harder, which is why, you know, you're seeing what's happening with them too. And um, we're, we just got a very bad uh, report from IBIS, which tracks earnings estimates. And it's saying for the first time in two years, they're predicting fourth quarter earnings to decline. Oh, so, wait a uh, second. I had not seen this. Tell us more yeah. about this, because profits are the mother's milk of stocks, but profits are the lifeblood of the economy. You're not going to grow the economy if profits are shrinking, right? Businesses are going to have to lay off, et cetera, et cetera. Now, t- what, tell us more about IBIS. Uh, IBIS is saying that not only that, but they're saying estimates not only have been falling for 2023 quarters as well. And uh, this was a very sort of under-the-water radar story that came out late Friday uh, Mm. by Reuters. Mm. And along with this disappointing IBIS report, uh, they said that Goldman Sachs recently cut its 2023 S&P 500 earnings per share growth uh, forecast to zero Mm. due to weakening profit margins. And as we know, those profit margins uh, have have been – really the the key to the earnings growth over the last few years because they've been at record highs so i you know i i'm a big follower of them too and i'm also uh, a big follower of corporate profits because that as you mentioned leads into everything wages uh, capital expenditures dividends really really everything so i i, I took this took this as a uh, a pretty bad sign boy that's a very interesting report jim lecamp what do you make of that I mean, you look at uh, earnings expectations for 2023, and you get anywhere from $200 to uh, – I'm just going to make up a number, $250. Now, let's apply a 15 multiple to that, and you're under where we're, we are right now. So it's hard to get bullish about the market. There's only one bullish thing going on with the market right now. Well, there's two. There's th- Well, there's three. <laughs> uh, there's uh, – there's a pessimism that is extraordinarily high. Uh, we, we saw record numbers of uh, on the put-call ratio the other day. Uh, that's bearish in the very short term. It, it doesn't really speak to the long term. You have seasonality, uh, which particularly after midterm elections is is pretty positive. And then and then and finally you have uh, sheer buybacks. Uh, but beyond that, it's hard to get bullish about anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at um, uh, the five Fed um, uh, surveys and you see a, a tremendous downturn there. You look at capital expenditure expectations, you see a tremendous downturn there as well. You see layoff plans, they're accelerating. Uh, it's really hard. And then, and then uh, the consumer savings rate, which has plummeted and is at very, very low levels. And so it's hard to get to anything but recession. Uh, and, of course, you dovetail that with the inverted yield curve. Uh, it all points to recession. So the only thing that you can do here is maybe tactically trade this market when a pessimism gets too high. 
uh, as we did in August, you get a rally, uh, and then it disappoints. And so all you can do is tactically trade the market. Beyond that, you're, you're better off buying a, a three-month treasury, one-year treasury, and getting over 4% and just waiting, waiting for things to fall apart, and then you pick up the pieces. And, and that's where I think investors have to look here. Well, four and a quarter, that's an interesting point. Four and a quarter percent uh, three-month T-bill is not nothing. No, no and, and, and you're, 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 you've seen inflation fall. Mm-hmm. And the, the good news here is that it, the, the inflation figures are falling and energy prices are finally falling. And I don't know how the Fed thought they were going to cure inflation without uh, headline inflation, which they seem to be really worried about, without energy prices falling. But now, now they're, they've been falling. I don't know how far they're going to fall. You've got a buyer in the federal government at 80 bucks, and uh, you have uh, capital expenditure plants in the energy patch that are still very, very low, and you've got China reopening. So I, I don't know how far energy prices are going to fall, but they're not going to fix inflation unless they fix energy. Uh, but what bothers me, Larry, is the Fed itself. I mean, you've got this jalopy. And the, the Fed is oversteering on and running us into the ditch when we get too hot. And then they oversteer, and then they're going to run us into the ditch because we're going to be too cold. And they're the big monster in this whole economy. And, yeah, they're, they're raising rates, but it takes a while for these rate hikes to work their way into the economy. And they don't wait to see the effect of their actions until they've already raised rates three or four more times and by then, it's too hard to undo, and that's why we have this uh, oversteering issue. Mm. And I, I, I really think the Fed is clueless here. I, I don't see how, in an unprecedented time, when we've printed 40% percent more right. money than we've ever had over All a right. two-year time frame, Let's get and, and we've had record levels of quantitative easing, I don't know how they think in this unprecedented set of moves that they can casually unwind it. Michael Zanian, the Fed doesn't look at the money supply. I mean, actually, um, Jay Powell has mocked the money supply. And I I just wonder, man, they, they could be – events are or may already be in – I mean, they, they've started their quantitative tightening, all right? We used to call that the monetary base. They're starting to shrink the monetary base. Probably going to do a lot more. What is it? They're still doing ninety-five billion a month, I think, something like that, in runoffs. But if the M two has meaning, I mean, sometimes you know, in past decades it hasn't, but in the last few years it seems to. If it has meaning, Mike Ozanian, we're in for a hell of a bad time of it because the crash in M two is going to crash the whole economy. Yeah, and I. I not how a central bank cannot look at the money supply is beyond me. I also got a long sense that they never really looked at commodity prices either. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, the Taylor rule or any of that, and that really goes down to the value of the dollar. I mean, all of this purchasing power is is the key, and by not looking at the money supply, I mean, we basically had easy money. For so long right now, at least through the almost the financial crisis of 0708. So to Jim's point, you know, this this is why uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. And we're going to have some severe pain uh, to unwind easy money for two decades. It's, mm. it's not going to happen, you know, in three or four or five months. It's, it's going to take a while. 
And again, I go back to contracting M2. Always in the past, when you've had that, you've had uh, downturns in the economy, when you've had severe declines in M2 for a serious period of time. I mean, history doesn't lie. I mean, that's just the way it is. So uh, I and I think that's starting to be reflected in, in that core GDP number, which was basically just about zero last quarter. So I think I think it's it's already kind of here, and I think it's going to really uh, uh, rear its ugly head in early 2023. So monetary contraction and profits contraction is a very difficult scenario. For the stock market. I don't care how you cut it. Anyway, let's take a Absolutely. break and come back and talk about the implications of this. Jim LeCamp, Senior VP at Morgan Stanley, Mike Ozanian, Assistant Managing Editor of Forbes Media and co-host of the great Forbes Sports Money Show on Yes Network. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. The Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're talking stocks with Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley and uh, Michael Zanian of Forbes Media and uh, uh, Forbes uh, Sports Money on Yes Networks. Great show. Uh, one thing we – I don't know if I mentioned it or not. I'm such a space cadet, but the leading index, uh, leading economic indicators put out by the conference board has just fallen for the eighth straight month. Just put that out there. I can't remember if I said that or not, but that's another uh, bad sign for the whole story. So, uh, Jim LeCamp, given your pessimism, both you guys are very pessimistic today. Not unwarranted, mind you. I'm just saying that you're pessimistic. Uh, what does an investor do in this uh, shorter run? Jim, you there? Hello, hello. Mike, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm All here. Right. Um, so, uh, we seem to have lost the camp. Maybe we'll pick okay. them up. With, but it's all and yours. I have to apologize. I have Can to you apologize, hear me? Larry, too. Uh, I may be a little pessimistic on that just because the Yankees haven't re-signed Aaron Judge yet. That may be paining <laughs> me a little bit, but I was just throwing that caveat out there. Um, I'm going to do a little, uh, a little arbitrage. Uh, one of the most brilliant people we've had the last several decades, John Malone, mm-hmm. uh, chairman of Liberty Media. He announced a few days ago that he's going to uh, – the board of Liberty Media has approved changing – uh, Liberty Braves, which is the tracking stock for the Atlanta Braves baseball team and their ballpark and the mixed-use real estate around it, which is like hotels, commercial areas, and so forth, to an asset that that company. Now, basically, that means it's going to be a regular corporation. I think what that means is that sometime, perhaps by early 2024, he's going to sell the Atlanta Braves and everything. Oh, huh. And I, I think there's an arbitrage play here because if you look at the total value, the enterprise value of the tracking stock, it's just a shade under $2.1 billion. Now, as we know, the Mets a couple of years ago sold for like $2.4 billion. Uh, the Braves alone are worth $2.1 billion. So I think it's a great play here. If you go in with the tracking stock, basically by my math, if he does sell the baseball team in 2024, you're basically going to get all that real estate and commercial 
those commercial it's for free. I think it's a great, great tracking stock, and I think you could do worse than bet with John Malone as well. How do you buy? Can you just, is it traded on the exchanges? The yeah, tracking stock. Yeah, you could buy the, the tracking stock. It's gone up uh, the last two days since the announcement, huh. but still, as of Friday's close, even with that increase, the value of the tracking stock is far below, in my opinion, where the sale of the team and the real estate would go. Wow. Uh, if you were to sell it. So I think it's an interesting arbitrage play. Am I back or am I back on? Okay, good. I think you've returned from the outer (laughs) spaces. Uh, What do you, how, how do you suggest playing this monetary contraction, profits contraction, right? Leading economic indicators down eight straight months contraction. What do you do here? Well, if you look at all the averages and you uh, showed the uh, trend line to a sixth grader and you asked them which way those trends were going, all of the major averages, the sixth grader would say, well, they're going down. So they fit, they, all the markets are, are failing the sixth grader test, and, and they'll continue to do so unless they break above the 200-day moving average, which has been stout resistance. So uh, we're uh, playing a very hedged uh, portfolio right now. We're short the dollar. Uh, just because positioning got so heavy in the dollar. And that's kind of what we're doing is we're looking at positioning and kind of going the other way. Uh, There was a trade uh, for some of the China shares. But as I said the last time I was on, Larry, bear markets are like Stephen King books, and everybody gets killed in the end. So uh, you can be, you know, you can buy defensive areas if you want to, but they're gonna, at the end of the day, they're going to go down too. So I think you have to raise cash um, and 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 take advantage of higher short-term rates and just wait for things to get cheaper. By the way, why is the dollar falling? I, the positioning got way, way, way too heavy. And then as the economic data started deteriorating, uh, then you saw rates start to come down on the 10-year Treasury, et cetera. And so uh, I, I think when you have over 90 percent of position traders that were long, it's a good, a good time to go the other way. Well, you can't kill yourself. I mean, I know everyone's going to lose, but there is such a thing as a longer term uh, Mike Ozanian. I mean, let me ask you this. We haven't talked about any politics. So the Republicans have taken over the House. They're going to have 222 votes, which is um, just as good as Pelosi had when she jammed through a lot of very bad legislation. At a minimum, they're going to stop the bad stuff. They might put some pressure on Biden, by the way, for energy security, which is what I'm hoping would happen uh, uh, change this uh, Green New Deal socialism into something more productive. I mean, maybe that's a bullish uh, indicator. And and just in general, the market does like split Congress, right? Uh, and you got checks and, ba- checks and balances are emerging. Kevin McCarthy will be the new speaker. I mean, that's um, that's a plus, isn't it? Over, if you go through history, the market has performed best under split Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fact by the data. Um, so even if you get nothing passed, I take that as a somewhat of a bullish sign because basically, to me, that could mean a lot less spending. Uh, I think long term, the best thing that the Republicans can do is they could bring up vote after vote on issues, things that they're for, i.e. Mm-hmm. tax cuts, marginal tax cuts, mm-hmm. i.e. 
keeping the depreciation rate, mm-hmm. i.e., making us energy independent. And you know what? Let the Democrats vote them all down. Mm-hmm. Let that happen. But at least then in two years, when we have another presidential election, we we can say we voted for this, we voted for this, we voted for this, and the Democrats voted it down. I believe Bob Dole did something very similar pri- prior to Ronald Reagan's uh, first election. Mm. And because this whole thing, what, what concerns me now on the political side is I'm getting a sense that the, Rep- the Republicans have come out and said, oh, we're going to start investigating President Joe Biden. I don't think most people give a hoot about that. Mm. I think what most people care about is my job, my wages, my purchasing power. What can I buy? And I think they need to hear clear, distinct points from Republicans on specific things they would do that would impact the economy. And if they get voted down, so be it. But it's specific things that they can then point to in two years, say, this is what we stand for. This will make your life better. But the Democrats stood in the way. Yeah, Particularly energy prices, particularly that. That's where uh, low-income people get hit the hardest. No, that's a good point. Look at, I think that H.R. 1 should be an energy security bill, which restarts permitting and pipelining and refining, you know, and production. So that's right. And what Mike Ozanian is saying is very important. What What you're suggesting, Mike, and by the way, I've talked about this all week on the TV show, the Republicans need a real growth and prosperity agenda. And as you say, if President Biden wants to veto that, he will do so at his and the Democrats' own political risk uh, come 24. That's exactly right. And I might add, 24, the Democrats have to defend two-thirds of their seats. This time around, the Republicans had to defend it in the Senate. It's much uh, better when... uh, you know, if you, if you don't have to defend so many, you'll hold on to them. Anyway, uh, thank you, gentlemen, Jim LeCamp and Mike Ozani, and I appreciate it. Hang on, folks. We're going to bring in Liz Peek and Steve Moore after a quick break, and we're going to talk some money and some politics. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to talk some money in politics. We have Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore from Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity and his book, Govzilla. Kids, we got a lot to talk about. I just want to uh, just saw this story uh, on the Fox uh, website. Liz Peake, um, student loans are dead because all these courts have said that there is no constitutional backing for them. But Joe Biden wants to continue them. And his press secretary said uh, these are baseless lawsuits and they intend to continue. And they're going to instead of people paying them back now, uh, they're still going to get their subsidies. So. Baseless lawsuits, really? Student loans are dead? No, they're not. They're never dead. We're going to continue this cancellation policy. Could you explain this to me, please? I well, thought the courts I, were very important in our system of government. <laughs> <laughs> Until they disagree with you, Larry, they're very important. Uh, 
I think, you know, I think this is actually very clever of Joe Biden. Uh, one of the things he did to win over young people who were clearly not in his corner going into the midterm elections was to promise that they would never have to repay their student loans or at least the bulk of their student loans, knowing it chances are it was illegal, knowing that the courts would rule against him because this is a completely clear case of executive overreach, just like EPA versus West Virginia. We know the Supreme Court is not going to be uh, tolerant of this activity, which is going to cost maybe half a trillion dollars, that the, the president does not have the authority to make that decision. So, I mean, it's really a, a win-win for Biden, because now he'll blame the Trump conservative court uh, for blocking student loans. That'll kind of ramp up the anger about the right and the Supreme Court. Uh, and he will take no responsibility for having done something that he and his colleagues, like Nancy Pelosi, knew that he was not able to do. It's it's horrifying, but I have to say it was very effective. Well, Steve Moore, I thought it was the Republicans who were undermining democracy in our institutions. <laughs> yeah. What happened yeah. to that one? It looks like Biden's undermining it. Yeah, that's for sure. But I, I think you know, Liz really nailed it. I don't have a lot to say to improve on what she just said. Uh, you know, I thought originally it was just so uh, such a horrendous policy to tell people they don't have to pay back their loans. You know, that people who are Ph.D. degrees make $100,000 and the taxpayers can pick up their loans. I mean, it's such an absurd policy. But it, I think Liz is right that it actually worked with young voters. It helped get, you know, the Democrats did a very good job on college campuses and with, you know, the generation. I don't know. What is it? Generation X, Y, Z. I can't even <laughs> tell what generation we're on now. But uh, I, I think as a political matter, it worked. Uh, but I think you make a really good point about this whole assault on democracy. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the other one that's such an assault on democracy, of course, is what happened, you know, with our good friend Sam. Uh, what's his name again? Sam uh, uh, Bank. Bankman Fried. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the crypto. I mean, this is like the most outrageous <clears throat> story. And I've been watching him 35 years. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, he did. He had a, a sham company raise billions of dollars by saying, oh, I'm an altruistic. I care about the environment and, and all of these crazy things. And people gave him boatloads of money. He then gave the money to the politicians. And though every one of those politicians, Larry, every one of them and every one of those PACs, whether it's 90 percent of the money went to the Democrats, but some of it went to Republicans, they have got to pay that back to the people who were swindled by this guy. He was buying votes. But let's peek. That's interesting. That opens up a Pandora's box. Should they have to pay it back? In other words, this could spread to a lot of situations where, okay, there's some fraud involved or some abuses of some kind or some law breaking, and now you got to go back into your pack and pay it back. Is that huh. is that a good thing? I mean, I get the spirit of what Steve Moore just said. I just wonder about precedent setting here. Well, I wouldn't hold your breath because Democrats are about as unlikely to fork <laughs> over tens of millions of dollars as they are to uh, decide that Donald Trump should be president. Uh, but I would refer you to the Bernie Madoff situation, where, in fact, uh, the guy that, that sorted out the Bernie Madoff swindle went after people who had intelligently uh, cashed in their chips, who had invested with Bernie Madoff, realized maybe something was wrong. Maybe they didn't even realize it, but they were just trimming and balancing their portfolios, 
they got some money out, and 10 years later, here comes – I've forgotten the name of the fellow who went after all of that mm. money, but they had to pay it back. I mean, it was – and mm. they did nothing wrong. I mean, in this case – uh, you know, you can argue the Democrats were ignorant of what this guy, the FTX mm-hmm. guy, was doing, but it, it's not unprecedented. Well, that's an interesting point about the Madoff clawback. I don't yeah. know what I think about this clawback stuff. Uh, by the way, one of the people that uh, got this money was the what's his name, Steve Moore Bozeman from Arkansas, Senator Bozeman, yeah, he, and he, he's the head of one of the committees. But yeah, let, let me make this very simple. Let's say that I uh, take a gun and I hold up Liz and I steal a hundred dollars for her from her, and then I give the hundred dollars to you, Larry. You, you, yeah, that's you. I'm giving you stolen money. That's exactly what happened here. I don't think this is complicated. I think they have a moral. I don't know if they have a legal obligation, but they certainly have an, a moral obligation to get. This was stolen money. It was defrauded from investors. A sham company all along. I don't know. I'm just very angry about it. And it is interesting to me. If you go back throughout the last financial, the financial scandals of the last 50 years, isn't it interesting how many of these uh, people, whether it was Bernie Madoff or was the Keating Five or whether it was people who took money from Fannie Mae when they went under uh, or now this latest, they're they're almost all Democrats. I thought they didn't like big money in politics, Liz. (laughs) <laughs> well, they don't want to thrive on big money and in, in, <laughs> in politics. I mean, you know, that's I think that's an emerging issue for President Trump if he wants to run again. I don't I read somewhere that, you know, yes, he's not going to get the bit backers, uh, big mm. backers coming in with donations. But that's OK. The base. Do they know that it costs a billion dollars to run for president? Isn't I think that's about the number that the last election settled on. You're talking vast amounts of money. So, And by the way, in two election cycles now, Democrats have hauled in more so-called that's right. money that's than right. Republicans. It's complete that's right. baloney that they want to get rid of it. That's really yeah. important point. The yeah. Democrats are out fundraising the Republicans yeah, exactly. big time, both in terms of billionaires and, and this is what's really bad, small donors. They're beating yeah. Republicans with small donors. And that is something the GOP has got to get back to. I mean, that's really part of this story. Well, hang on a second now. Um, Speaking of Mr. Trump, I'm reading again on the Fox News site. I'm stuck here in West Palm (laughs) Beach, Florida. So I'm just Uh, poor Larry. I'm I'm broadcasting from down here. I don't know what's going on in the world. But here's 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 the thing. Um, uh, Elon Musk says that he's getting a million votes, wait a second, if I have this right, a million votes per hour on whether he should restore Donald Trump's Twitter account. Now, that's, first of all, very cool, a million votes per hour. But, Liz, what do you make of that? You think that he will wind up restoring Trump's Twitter account? I don't know if Trump would go for it. I just want to know if Elon would let him back into into the House. I think yes, because after all, he has presented himself as an absolutist on free speech. Donald Trump is, after all, a former president. And really, it's not clear to me why he was ever booted off Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, you know, if I mean, if if he starts doing something outrageous, uh, I don't know, maybe then Elon Musk changes his mind. But we don't know, by the way, that million per hour. We don't know how it's turning out i mean it could be a million people against him doing it (laughs) yeah um but i i think he will and by the way it's a commercial enterprise it's not going to hurt elon musk to have twitter exactly uh, accept him back steve yeah you you think he's 
you think he'll let him back in? He should let him back in. What's Trump? Trump hasn't. It's not what it's not what he said. It's this is conservative values that got him thrown off in the first place. So if you ask me, he should be allowed back in. No questions asked, actually. No, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think Liz's final last point really was the most important one. This is a for profit business. Why would you keep off of your of your why would you take away a customer, you know, who is making huge amounts of money for your business? You know, that's the strange thing about this left wing direction of some of these big social you know, platforms, whether it was Twitter or whether Facebook, Google. I mean, they've infuriated half of their customers with their liberal yeah. bias. So it's good business. For him to bring back Donald Trump in, right? Look, yeah, everybody has a right for free expression. You don't have to agree with what he says. I don't always. I like Donald Trump a lot. I don't always agree with what he says. By the way, Trump Trump is not just any account. He's like a, a major account. Yeah, I mean, he, he could rescue Twitter. They yeah, figure exactly. out how to do it. I mean, <laughs> and. and, and, and Yes, and and by the way, the idea that he wouldn't do it when, after all, Truth Social, I don't really know what the body count is on Truth Social, but it doesn't hold a candle to Twitter. And it looked to me from after after looking at, at Trump's announcement and how it was basically kind of ignored by the networks, if Trump wants to really run for president, he's going to need Twitter. He's going to need every opportunity to talk to people because right now I feel like uh, he's being shut down a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. That's important. I, don't, I want to continue the Trump conversation. we got a special counsel, and we have Trump's announcement to run again. Let's take a quick break right here. We're talking to Liz Peek of Fox News and syndicated columnist Steve Moore of Freedom Works and Heritage and Unleashed Prosperity. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back with Trump. How's that? Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here with Liz Peek of Fox News. And syndicated columnist and Steve Moore, Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and his book, Govzilla. So, Steve Moore, you don't think this special counsel has anything to do with politics, do you? <laughs> well, Larry, look, I, I mean, look, if, if Joe Biden had even a touch of class, which he doesn't, he should just basically um, pardon Trump and just get this over with. Nobody wants mm. to play this. It's just craziness. I mean, come on. Donald Trump is going to run for president. Maybe Biden. Maybe we'll have a maybe we'll have a, a rematch. Who knows how this is all going to turn out? We don't know who the Democrat or Republican is. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> Trump in his speech last night, Larry, and I know you were there. I was there. He really I mean, he has been so abused by this mm. process, uh, you know, that the raid on Mar-a-Lago. It, it, I don't think any president in history and the guy's not perfect, you know, but no, but who's ever gone through this before as president. And ima- I was thinking about this last night. Imagine that Trump, when he had become president, did a raid on the Obama residence to get his records. They would have mm-hmm. said, oh, he's a dictator, he's a tyrant. Mm-hmm. You know, so the double treatment is, is really outrageous. I mean, Liz, what's so interesting here is. There may be a wave of sympathy for Trump. (laughs) Trump, the victim. You got to love that. I mean, actually, just to point out, uh, we were uh, we we were in the room last night in the ballroom when President Trump spoke. But he he was very um, moderate about it. He even made some jokes about it. But the whole thing is a scam. And everybody sees through it, Liz. This is just electioneering and weaponizing the Justice Department. I I actually 
said kind of what you're saying uh, on air last night, and then I thought, yikes, that's, I'm going to get burned for that. But, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, you know, who who wants Trump to run more than Democrats? Nobody. I mean, Democrats <laughs> are desperate to have him run, right? <laughs> yeah. And every time they've impeached him, every time they raided Mar-a-Lago or did something like that, his popularity goes up, not mm-hmm. down. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because he's is a victim. I mean, he doesn't just play the victim card. I'm not, I, as you know, I don't really want him to be the candidate in 24, but holy crow, the, the, the incessant hounding of this man is just offensive beyond words. And I think an awful lot of fair-minded Americans will agree with that. By the way, we've had this endless uh, interrogation and, and all these uh, hearings about one six. I don't think they've turned up anything criminal right. that that Donald Trump did. And as far as the Mar-a-Lago stuff, oh, well, all of a sudden, the Washington Post, after all these headlines about nuclear secrets, oh, my mm. goodness, they basically came out and said, look, he was storing souvenirs. It's all about ego. And the truth is, you know, was it stupid and was it maybe diso- or, um, illegal? Okay, maybe so. But I just cannot imagine if Hillary Clinton is gets away with destroying all her personal communications right, that a former right. president gets indicted for basically, you know, mishandling documents. I mean, I, I really don't. I just think it's bizarre. And and couching this, wrapping it up in a special prosecutor thing, forget it. That's not going to make any difference to American voters. Yeah, it's going to backfire. It's going to absolutely yes. backfire. Which kind of brings me, Steve War, to. Uh, Trump's uh, presidential announcement on Tuesday, um, it was kind of a new, new Donald Trump. No trash talking, no election Mm -hmm. denying. He basically spent 60 minutes or so talking about issues and accomplishments and a future agenda. Now, I don't know if this is the new, new Trump. I hope it is, frankly. But it was surprisingly good and actually surprisingly well-received. That was a great speech, a really good speech. A little too long. Yes. <laughs> he goes yes. on too long. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite effective. I mean, there was stuff that I you know, hadn't heard before. But what he did, I mean, the case for Trump is very simple. I, you know, I'm using his terminology. I rebuilt the American economy. I created prosperity. I created you know, a situation where we were you know, energy independent. I got climb off the street. I secured the border. He, you know, he went down that whole list of things. And it's just simple. <laughs> Which do you like better? Do you like Biden's results or Trump's results? And, and that's a powerful argument. Uh, I did spend, as I told you, Larry, about five minutes with the president. Mm-hmm. And I told him two things, Larry. I think you'll be proud of me. I said, number one, I thought it was a great speech. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you you know, oh, by the way, he had a great line. I said, you know, I love how you say, you know, you're, you, the, what you said is basically you've done it before and you can do it again. <laughs> he goes, no, Steve, I did it twice before. But anyway, I also wagged my finger a little bit at him. Mr. President, I'm, I'm mad at you. And he said, well, why are you mad at me, Steve? You know? And I said, because I don't like the trash talking. Mm-hmm. You know? And he, he, it was interesting, his reaction to that, because you know, I've always had a very friendly relationship with him. And he thought about it for a minute. You know, he said, Steve, you're not the first person who's told me that. So maybe I've penetrated a little bit because I know you've told him that, too. And that's the message we need to get. There's the good Trump and the bad Trump. And I love the good Trump. And I I don't always like the bad Trump. Well, we had a little conversation last night. He gave me a hug last night. 
And uh-huh. uh, when he and and then he came and sat down for a while. And I said to him, I said, sir, high road, high road, stay on the high road and you'll do better. And he kind of smiled. He kind of gave you one of those those quick little Thanks. smile things that he does. So, Liz, I know he's not your favorite candidate. He's not, but Kellyanne and I were, were texting earlier in the week about it. It was kind of like the 2016 Trump when he really went around the country making good speeches on issues. And issues are important. And one of the things that we've all been talking about uh, is, you know, the GOP has to have a very strong growth and prosperity message. And the House Republicans now, they have to have a growth and prosperity message. Trump has to have one. But, you know, DeSantis has to have one. Pence has to have one. Whoever all is going to run again, Pompeo, they need to signal the country that this is a growth and prosperity party, because I think that gets a little bit whittled down, you know, and I think a thousand oversight hearings and a thousand references on a daily basis to Hunter Biden. Uh, I know he's got to be brought to account, Liz, but I don't think that's the winning way. I totally 100 percent agree with you. And in fact, I have a piece coming out on at the Hill uh, it's in the next couple of days, basically saying that where is the agenda? Every Amer- every Republican I know, and, and by the way, Biden capitalized on this by saying, "We know what are their ideas? There aren't any, whatever." And the GOP really failed to lay out an agenda in this midterm election. Boy, oh boy, do we need one going forward? And I agree. Investigations. The problem is that's what they can do with a very slim minority. Uh, majority in the House. They can't really create legislation, but they must. They must pass some bills, send them to the Senate where we know they will die, but show Americans what is possible, what their priorities are. I looked, actually, there was someone on Twitter, a grandmother sort of looking lady who said, oh, great, Hunter Biden, that's not going to really help me. And Mm. I really thought that was kind of like, you know what? Mm. A lot of people are going to be thinking that. No, no, that's it. Uh, that's an important point. Uh, you look, HR one, energy yep. security. Yeah. Open the spigots. Okay, it affects virtually every American one way or another. And you can go down the list. Extend the tax cuts. Cut back on spending. Stick in workfare to all these welfare programs. Mm-hmm. Let the Democrats veto them, kids. You know, exactly. Let, the, let Biden and the Democrats veto it. So what? 2024, they'll be held to account. But the GOP has got to, you know, Steve, they've got to have a clear prosperity message. And by the way, that includes crime, right? Crime is totally anti-growth, anti-jobs, anti-businesses, right? I mean, all this stuff works. They just have to make it work. They have to signal it. They have to communicate it. They have to message it. Um, Yep, I'm with you guys on all of that. I I like the idea of stopping the spending on the uh, IRS agents. I think Mm -hmm. that's something 80% of Americans think is a really, really bad and offensive idea. So, yeah, go for it. You know, and they've got these slim and what is it, at 221, 222 or something? So they only have about a 222. 222. So we're at five, right? We can afford to lose about five before. So, you know, that's a very slim majority. But, I mean, I think Pelosi had a pretty slim majority, and she was able to get things through. So you got to have some unity in the party. I I think McCarthy will be a good leader. I love, love, love uh, Jim Jordan running the Judiciary Committee. I I, I think Kathy McMorris-Rogers will be great at Commerce. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
you've got, it looks like, I don't know who it is going to be at the uh, Ways and Means Committee. Yeah. Uh, I think that one's still not decided. But you've got some really good people. Move it, move ahead aggressively with the growth agenda. Yeah, McCarthy, McCarthy can do it if they let him do it, Liz. I'm just worried. Uh, I don't want to name call, but you do have a couple of nut jobs out there that, that could throw um, a monkey wrench into this. I mean, let McCarthy be the speaker. Let's right. see how they do. He's got the right idea. I mean, I talked to Newt about it quite a bit last night, Steve, at that uh, dinner. Uh, you know, yeah. just get get it done and start messaging properly. Yeah. You know, yeah. look, Art, Art Laffer's point was, Liz, that the Republicans have made it got to be clear that they are the stewards of economic prosperity. Yeah. The stewards yeah, of agree. prosperity. I think Arthur's right. It's just completely right on this. Well, and, and they've got to stop voting for bills that have something that they like, but they also have three trillion dollars of things they don't like i mean you know america really republican backers don't like that they want to see it end so i agree responsible stewardship is a really good idea and thank you kids liz peak and steve moore appreciate it i'm larry kudlow we will be back with you next weekend